This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast with Robert Vore and Steve Austin. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey guys, Robert here. I am actually not joined by Steve today. This episode is a little bit different than normal, so there won't be a big intro with us chatting and then an interview. It's just me, so you get to hang out with a little one-on-one time. I wanted to take a second and give you some info, some resources that you can follow up with. I know that by the time you get this, it won't be September anymore, so it's not Suicide Prevention Month, but obviously we don't believe that suicide prevention should be talked about only one month out of the year. So I wanted to give you some information, some resources, some places you could go to learn a little bit more. The first thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit are risk factors and warning signs. So these, I know, get kind of jumbled together a lot of times in discussions of suicide and suicide prevention, but I wanted to make sure that I explained the difference and then gave some details about some of those. So there is a pretty major difference between risk factors and warning signs. Risk factors are things, maybe populations of people or situations that may put a person at an elevated risk for suicide, or so says the literature, right? So things such as one or more prior suicide attempts, uh, family history of mental illness or substance abuse, a family history of violence, having experienced physical or sexual abuse, having access to firearms in the home, things like that, incarcerated people, right, people in in jail or in prison, things of that nature, right? Those are what we consider risk factors, which means that those those people are not necessarily at imminent risk for suicide. There's no indication of that, but that those populations are at an elevated risk. On the other hand, warning signs are signs that somebody that individual may actually be thinking about or planning to die by suicide. So these are things such as talking about dying, thinking about dying, experiencing a mental illness, especially depression, researching methods of suicide, stockpiling pills, gaining access to a gun, putting their affairs in order, like giving away prized items, uh, making comments about being hopeless or, or things like that. Those would be actual warning signs that the individual may be at risk or may be experiencing a suicidal crisis, right? The difference here is whether somebody is just in a population that has an elevated risk or whether that individual is showing some actual warning signs. So it's similar to if I said, I have a friend in college you might say, hey, it's safe to assume that they're at a higher risk for having no money or for being hungry, right? Because college students stereotypically don't have a lot of money for food. But if I said, hey, here's my friend, Billy Bob, and Billy Bob is, his stomach is rumbling and he is looking longingly at your food, you would say that he's showing some signs that he individually may actually be hungry, right? So it's the difference between a population that may 
be at an elevated risk overall or an actual indication that a person maybe is at, at a, a crisis point. Now there is normally one other thing that gets talked about in this same kind of vein, that being protective factors. Those are kind of the counterpoint to risk factors in that they are something that if they are a situation that applies or that population may have protective factors that kind of balance out risk factors and may help them be less at risk for a suicide attempt. Things, uh, examples of protective factors would be things like easy access to mental health care, easy access to a variety of health care in general, fam good family support or community support or friend support, right? Having a good support system, especially a support system that supports mental health or mental health care. So if you have people surrounding you that are willing to say, hey, I think it would be a good idea for you to get some mental health care, things of that nature, uh, a sense of connectedness. So we see lower risk typically in new mothers. I know that there's there's postpartum depression, but, but parenthood in general, right? There's a sense of connectedness, a sense of responsibility, things like that. People in relationships oftentimes are at a little bit lower risk. Now, to be really clear, none of these risk factors protective factors or warning signs are a sure bet, right? Uh, we still have a lot to learn in this area. These are just things that we can notice kind of a trend. That being said, if I mention something there with protective factors, that doesn't mean that those people are immune from suicide. Suicide affects all races, all ages, all religions, all culture groups, right, worldwide. So none of those things are None of them make someone immune, so don't write off all people with kids, obviously. Don't write off all people with relationships, things like that. If you are worried about someone or uh, see some warning signs or think, hey, this person could use some help, please make sure that you ask them, that you talk to them directly, that you express that you care. It definitely doesn't mean uh, if they are in some of those protective factor groups that they are immune. If you want to learn some more about those, there's all sorts of stuff that you can find online. I'll make sure I toss some links in the show notes, but the CDC actually has a good list going on. WebMD surprisingly has a pretty good list. Uh, if you work for WebMD, don't be offended. SPRC.org, right, the Suicide Prevention Resource Center has some good lists, as well as AFSP, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and pretty much any other suicide website, especially suicide prevention websites, are going to have a list on there that you can read. There's pretty long lists because, as I mentioned before, this isn't an exact science, but if you want to learn more about that, check out some of those websites. Uh, I will toss links to those in the show notes. Now, if you really want to learn a little bit more about suicide, there's some great books that you can read that I would recommend. Most of these are listed on my website at robert vorcom slash resources. Again, I will make sure that I link them in the show notes, but obviously there is a lot of information to be had, so I'm just going to touch real briefly on some of them. There's, as you might imagine, uh, a lot of theories as to why someone might die by suicide, why somebody would choose to do that, and a lot of those theories contradict each other, or maybe not contradict each other, but, but place emphasis on different areas, right? As we develop theories about things, then we do more research to test them, things like that. 
uh, one that I'm pretty partial to, and Steve will make fun of me when he listens to this because he always tells me that I'm a big fanboy for Dr. Thomas Joyner, but he is a, a suicidologist. He has researched extensively, and he put out a book a few years back called Why People Die by Suicide, in which he lays out his interpersonal theory of suicide. Uh, it talks about there being uh, essentially two factors that contribute to the desire to die by suicide, and then a third factor that contributes to actually the ability to die by suicide, right? So the two factors being a perceived burdensomeness, so that you are a burden on the people around you, right? So somebody who maybe thinks that because of their situation, they are making other people miserable, or that uh, they're a financial drain on other people, things like that, uh, which could explain why there's elevated risk in elderly men, right? Once you retire and people have to take care of you, things like that. Uh, the other factor there is a sense of social isolation or low belongingness. Again, that would be, so if I if I feel like I don't have any friends, if I feel like nobody knows what I'm going through, nobody relates to me, uh, I'm all alone in what I'm going through, that would be low belongingness or social isolation. Again, both of those have to be perceived. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are the case, right? So most times we would say that that people aren't a burden on everybody around them, or that there's somebody who knows what they're going through, but it's more importantly is that person's perception. And then the third factor that he talks about, Dr. Joyner, in his interpersonal theory of suicide is the ability to die by suicide, right? Which has to do with an ability or a, a, a customization to dangerous or situations that we might be averse to, right? So as you would expect, somebody who has been through more dangerous situations usually has a higher tolerance for pain or for danger, right? So uh, after you go on a roller coaster for the first time, it's easier to go on the second time because you're not as scared of it, things like that. And so Dr. Joyner's theory posits that that is one reason why why people who have self-injured previously may be at elevated risk for suicide, even though those aren't the same action, or why doctors would be at higher risk, as we know they are, where there's higher rates of suicide in veterans or of drug users, especially people who have maybe used intravenous drugs, right? So they're used to doing something to their body that most of us would consider to hurt, right? We would be scared to do the first time, the second time, the third time, but maybe as they have experienced these things more and more, they have uh, kind of overcome their fear of a certain situation, right? Um, and so they might be able to get past kind of the final hurdle there, which would be being scared to die or being afraid of the, the pain that may come with certain types of suicide deaths. So those three things are laid out in Dr. Thomas Joyner's interpersonal theory for suicide. Again, that is not a 100% surefire way. It's not agreed on by all suicideologists. It is just one leading theory that has some, has some traction. So there's plenty of others that you can read about if you would like. Uh, I will say, if you want to learn more about suicide in general and you want to be more informed, one of the best things that you can do is learn about some of the myths about suicide, 
right? These are things that we believe that are actually pretty harmful in terms of assuming that somebody won't be suicidal or responding to suicide in a certain way. So these are things like the myth that if you talk to somebody about suicide, if you ask them if they're suicidal, especially youth, that you could plant the idea in their head that time and time again, the research shows, is not the case. Uh, what we found pretty regularly is that when somebody is asked about suicide or the potential for them dying by suicide, that they feel relieved that somebody has asked, or if they previously weren't considering suicide, that they're not any more likely to whatsoever, that they are relieved that somebody has showed that they care, that has expressed an interest and concern, right? Other myths would be uh, about time of the year, right? People tend to believe a lot of times that people die by suicide more in the winter months, especially Christmas time. That statistically is not true. It's usually in the springtime. Uh, maybe when we are coming out of kind of the darker months and into the lighter months. Uh, so maybe people have more energy to do things, but still have kind of uh, the effects of that seasonal affective disorder, things like that, which matches up with what we know about people with bipolar disorder or things like that. It's not when people are at their lowest. Typically, it's when they start to feel a little better, so they get some of their energy back, but they still have the effects of feeling pretty low, things like that. If you want to learn more about some of those, I would pretty strongly recommend Thomas Joyner's book, Myths About Suicide. There's a link to that in the show notes. That is a phenomenal book. Whether you 100% agree with his theory or not, each of those myths that are listed in there are dispelled and argued against using research, using data, using what we know to be true. And of course, there are lots of other books that you could pick up on the topics, such as Night Falls Fast by K. Redfield Jameson and plenty of others. I will put a longer list in the show notes. I just don't have necessarily the time to recite them all from memory and probably don't know a lot of them by memory. Uh, in particular, I wanted to point out a specific book work in a school of any capacity, I would highly recommend the book Suicide in Schools. That book is by a couple authors, one of which you should recognize, Dr. Jonathan Singer, who we had as a guest on our show in our suicide prevention episode, as well as Scott Poland and Terry Erbacher. That book contains a lot of fantastic information about suicide in schools, as well as actual hands-on resources for prevention and postvention and interventions that take place at a school level. So if you work in a school in any capacity, I would highly recommend that book. Uh, again, there will be a link in the show notes. I'll stop saying that now because you're going to assume that there's links to all this in the show notes, which there will be. Another fantastic option for if you want to learn some more about suicide, specifically suicide prevention for you or your team, your volunteers, your staff, whoever it may be, your faculty, I would really recommend doing some trainings. You can bring mental health professionals in or specifically some suicide prevention trainers. So longtime listeners of the show will know that I do suicide prevention trainings using a program called QPR. Uh, you can find out some more about that at qprinstitute.com. If you're in the Atlanta area or drivable from Atlanta, shoot me an email. I would love to come do that for you. If you're not, on qprinstitute.com, there are lists 
of local trainers that you can bring in to do large group trainings or you can do individual trainings online for just you. There's also programs such as ASSIST, that is the Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. Uh, that one is a two-day workshop, so a little bit more time-consuming, but phenomenal information. So check out some of those. I know that churches and schools and ministries typically don't have huge budgets, but I would say that these types of trainings are certainly worth the money, the investment, to make sure that your people know what they're doing, know how to intervene, know how to help potentially save people's lives, which you cannot really put a price on. So definitely check out some of those as well. Since I brought it up earlier, I will say, give a shameless plug to our own show. Back a few episodes ago, somewhere in the teens, we did an episode on suicide prevention, specifically in churches and ministries and groups like that, that featured Dr. Singer that I was just talking about, as well as Dr. Sherry Moloch, who does a lot of research in uh, mental health in churches and African-American youth and things of that nature. So I would definitely recommend that episode. It's one of my favorites that we ever did. I think it's important. Uh, I was very proud of that one and the work that we put in ahead of time to make it happen, find the people, find the scheduling, things of that nature, and then of the product that we put out of that conversation. So make sure you go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet. It's certainly beneficial and worth your time. That should be it as far as specific recommendations. As I said before, if you want to learn some more about any of this, I would really recommend checking out uh, AFSP's website or SPRC's website or suicidology.org. That's the American Association of Suicidology. Resources listed on those websites, such as books and articles and things like that. I will link to all of those. Again, I'll point to robert-vore.com slash resources. There's a bunch of online resources there, as well as some local resources. I think it points to Detroit Love Under Arms local resource page uh, and some book recommendations. And I will put all of that in the show notes, as well as any other resource recommendations that I come upon while I am doing the show notes, so make sure to check that out. It'll probably be the longest show notes we've ever had, but it's for a good reason, so make sure you check that out. If you want to connect with us, you can find us at all the normal social medias. I'm not going to go through that because you know where to find us, so make sure you connect with us. We would love to hear from you what your story is, what you want to hear more of on the show, things like that. So send us a message on any of the social medias. We'd love to hear from you. Check out more episodes at cxmhpodcast.com. And thanks for listening. Please go learn more about suicide prevention. You could help save lives. Thanks for listening to the CXMH Podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.